What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. I am joined by one of my recurring favorite. NBA Minds. It's Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. He is here. Dan, good evening, sir. How are you? I am spectacular, Chase. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, have you been reading or watching anything interesting since we last spoke? Um, I actually have. Well, at least what I consider interesting. So I'm at a point every couple of years I like to, uh, this is the nerd coming out of me, I like to reread the Harry Potter series. So oh, I'm right there with you. Okay. I'm in the middle of that. And I finally uh, bit the bullet. I never wanted to watch it, but I finally uh, started watching Game of Thrones just before season eight. So seven seasons later, and I almost stopped after the first two episodes. wasn't doing it for me, but uh, around episode, I powered through to episode four or five, and I actually do very much enjoy it. So here's how much of a fucking psycho I am when it comes to Harry Potter and uh, Game of Thrones. I've read all the books watched all the movies one of my favorite things is like when i was in middle school was like faking sick so i could spend an entire day at home watching the entire series <laughs> um it, it was great i love it i have a lot of very fond memories of being on my sofa in my childhood home watching uh harry potter and the chamber of secrets with some soup at like 10 a.m because i already breezed through the first one and i was ready to go for the second um but yeah i've, I've done that a bunch read them all i actually just reread the harry potter series to get ready for binge mode um because they did the harry potter thing and that kind of um inspired me to go back through all the different books and um it's interesting like how different i look at some of them now versus when i first read them growing up um and just kind of what's resonated more with me what actually hit me harder or what i thought was better but um to bring that all full circle and i have another follow-up question about harry potter uh for you but um I'm one of those people that needs like some sort of white noise all the time to be um, studious and um, just pay attention to what I'm doing and getting a lot of stuff done. So I'm podcasts are difficult for me because anything with words, it's like when people I remember in college where they would listen to music with lyrics in it. And I'm just like, how are you studying? How does this work? I don't know. I, I don't, I can't fathom it. So I, I actually found this great ASMR channel. I don't know if you're an ASMR guy, but they have like all these different Harry Potter and Game of Thrones ASMR rooms. So like I work in 
the potions class a lot <laughs> during the workday, and then oh, wow. uh, King's Landing is my big afternoon go-to for ASMR work. Um, it's it's one of the dorkiest things about me, just how much time I spend like pretending, I guess, that I'm that I'm actually at uh, Hogwarts or um, in the Game of Thrones universe. It's 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 bad. Uh, you'll have to link me to those AMSR. Oh, I will gladly not know they existed. Are you an ASMR person? No, I have. I honestly don't even know what those are. So ASMR is like it's that thing. Basically, it's white noise, but it actually gives you these weird sensations where it feels like. So if it's like if you hear, um, you've probably seen them and just didn't know what they were called. But it was like the the raindrop sounds. Like if you, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like is that? But this is just like the the nerdier version somehow. Um, and it gives you that sensation of like you're actually there, and like you hear the bubbles in potions class, and like people writing with their pen. Um, I work in Dumbledore's office a lot. He's got a pretty cool setup there um but yeah no it's it's great and i very much i i love it outside of like it i don't know i just i very much enjoy it and i am okay with how dorky i come off five minutes into this podcast it's it's fine for me to peel behind the curtain a little bit no i'm i'm right there with you i can't do like when i'm working and stuff i can't do podcasts i could do music but so something like that's interesting uh yeah that like it'll i don't know that i'm really like listening to it like i'll get zoned in but if it's a podcast um, I mean, I listen to my podcast on two times speed because I have like too many podcasts to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I guess that's probably part of it, but I can't like, I'm either taking in the podcast or I'm just like that white noise isn't going to resonate with me where music, it's so repetitive that you've basically heard it before. You can kind of like, for me at least it's like, I can just like that jibes with me working, but podcasts don't like, I need to be working out or driving or, or running or, or something like that. So I can really just like take it in. Right. I'm right there with you. Um, what is your favorite Harry Potter book? Because mine's I, changed from what I had when I was growing up that I always just penciled in. Um, and I think I've talked with other people about this, and it's a common theme as well, is that Chamber of Secrets is better when you're an adult. I think we, for some reason, we all hated it growing up, but it gets a bad rap. Chamber of Secrets, not actually that bad. But uh, what is your answer? I, yeah, I actually think even when I was younger, I thought Chamber was better than um, I was never a big fan of Order of the Phoenix, maybe because it uh, moved too slow. But I think I've read it a couple of times since, quote unquote, adulthood. And like the what J.K. Rowling does with Harry in Order of the Phoenix resonates with me more. But I think Half-Blood Prince was the book where there were just a couple of like twists that I really couldn't see coming or scenes where I had to put down the book after I just read it to like just take in what I just read and um, I still get that feeling when I read it now probably because with six and seven you obviously haven't reread it as much as all the other books but those are the Half-Blood Prince is still one that like you know it felt like it's sometimes it happens with tv shows but like to actually be reading something and like have to put it down because you need to comprehend uh, what's happening what she was able to do in that book just still really impresses me to this day yeah I mean, that's, that's not a bad pick. I love Order of the Phoenix. Um, that's definitely in my top three. It's, my, it's not my number one. Um, my number one is still um, Deathly Hollows. Like, it just, I maybe it's, um, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how you don't just look at Deathly Hollows and you're like, oh my God, this was just insane. Like, it's just so hard to wrap something like that up so neatly and perfectly. And I Without just, feeling rushed, because if yeah. you think of like, 
I, I mean, I guess spoilers at this point don't matter. But when you think of how many Horcruxes there were to go at the beginning mm-hmm. of Seven, and then that that book wasn't even – they needed to split it into two movies, but that book wasn't even the longest book. I think yeah. it was the second longest book behind Goblet, and, like, it didn't feel rushed. Like, I just – I didn't want it to end, so I would have welcomed it being, like, you know, 2,000 pages if it needed to be, but it didn't feel rushed, didn't feel like it dragged on. So it's definitely my my number two for that one as well. What, what book has been ruined for me, though, and it was – one of my favorites, probably in the top three, was Prisoner of Azkaban was Ooh. ruined for me by the movie. I don't I know. the movie was great. I think that's like the second best movie. I think it's when they shifted like the aura around it where it became more of a darker thing. I thought well, that was directors, great. right? Didn't Columbus yeah. stop directing after the second? Yeah. And I do think um, my favorite movie that they did, Order of the Phoenix is up there. I thought that was great, too. And then the Deathly Hollows movies, like when they're doing some of the fight scenes in there is perfect. But for Prisoner of Azkaban, I thought they took – I'm not one of those like you have to follow the book or the comic book or the mm. – you know, whatever we're talking about. But I felt like they took a little too many like uh, creative liberties there. Um, the scene where he flies off on the firebolt at the end of the movie is still just something I'm like, no. That's the, like no, 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 no. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, I loved – I, I don't know. The, I appreciated I the like the stuff. shift in the direction. serious stuff was yeah. so good. Like in like I I also just love Sirius Black and that character. So just getting the first glimpse of him and getting to know him and Lupin and everything else. Like it was, and we got a little bit of emo Harry and some other weird stuff. Um, Goblet's also one of. I mean, I I love Goblet of Fire. I probably um cedric degree and all that story arc and just like the voldemort stuff in that book is just so important and i i love goblet you know what here's a here's a thought um i love them all yeah i mean there's look i didn't think any of the movies were bad but do you know what i also think the other one was is i didn't like the second dumbledore like he interesting i never felt that connect maybe towards the when they do that scene at the end of Deathly Hollows with him mm-hmm. and Harry, maybe a little bit in half of print, but I never got like felt the, and he was even with the first actor. I just never felt like the connection that Harry and Dumbledore clearly shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that maybe having that shock because he, that was his first movie was um, the prisoner of Azkaban. Maybe right. that's also what kind of factored into it as well. And just like, but I, I guess I like the second one better because he, I think, came off more uh, human in that, like, Dumbledore did some really shitty things to Harry and um, didn't let him in on some stuff and used him as a pawn and just kind of knew where things had to go for Voldemort to move on. Like, there's just so many different little nuggets that um, makes Dumbledore complicated, but... Um, I don't know. I think he did a really good job, especially in Order of the Phoenix. I, I thought it was good, but I think that's the weakest movie for me. I maybe part of it for that is they, it probably should have been split up into two movies. It wouldn't have happened, but that book was just so much. And maybe this wouldn't have made a great movie splitting it into two, just with the the content in that particular book. But um, I don't know. I, I loved Order of the Phoenix, the book. And I thought the movie rushed a lot of stuff, specifically uh, Sirius's death and how that felt. And I, I don't know. Like, that was a critical moment reading where you're like, what? That was like the, the Harry Potter equivalent of the Red Wedding, where it's like, <laughs> I've no, not gotten there on Game guy, of Thrones yet. Yeah. I'm still only in the early season two, but I've heard Red Wedding is a, is a doozy. Oh, well, yeah. Red Wedding. It's a fun time. Um, so I will not spoil anything with Game of Thrones then. Um, so you gotta, you gotta move, man. It's coming back in a couple of weeks. Look, I only have so much time during the NBA season to 
consume anything that doesn't have related to sports. So I watched like, and I was, this is binge watching for me. I watched like two and a half episodes in a row uh, on a Sunday. And that's like, that's the pace I'm moving at is like, I, I watch episodes in bits and pieces, like single episodes at this point. I'm like you. I mean, we, it, for us to do the podcast, to write, to do our day jobs, all this other stuff, like there's just but, a, a finite the, amount of time to watch what you need to watch. So I picked things one at a time. So I'm actually rewatching Dexter and I'm only, I pretend anything after season five doesn't exist or after season four, <laughs> excuse me. So it actually ends with the Trinity killer. And I'm just going back through because I've always placed Dexter in my top four to five best shows of all time. If you just pretend it got canceled after season four, where I think it would have so much lore around like those four seasons of TV were fucking crazy. Like it, it would be in the category of Breaking Bad and stuff like that. I, I, I firmly believe that. Ooh, Confessions, never seen Dexter or Breaking Bad. Okay. One of those is going to... It took me forever to get on, like, the Mad Men train, too. I did eventually watch that. Love it, it's, it's a tug of war, though, because it's. I think we need that stuff. Like, I listen to so much, like, podcasts, which are essentially work, because mm-hmm. they have to do with basketball and sports, and you read so much, mm-hmm. um, and you're writing so much, and you're watching so much basketball. Like, you need to... Like, the, I feel like the some of the most successful people are just the smartest ones are the ones that can step away and do the that's what reading the harry potter stuff like those are page turners for me so that helps me otherwise i have like really hard time detaching if i'm watching something else i'm like you know i really should have rewatched sun's hornets or something like (laughs) that's the kind of mindset that i have so the harry potter books do that more for me more so than any other tv show including game of thrones but i resist i didn't think i was going to be into game of thrones at all and after the first two episodes i was like i I was like, well, first of all, why is there just so much incest and sex? And then, mm-hmm. uh, but it starts to the plot line actually starts to like pick up after that. So it's, I, I have finally given in. Okay. And now the books will only take about six months to, to catch up on as well. So if you want to get Are they that, done writing the books? No. Like game of, yeah. He'll never it's, finish probably. Okay. He's got so two like, left. And I was like, that's weird to finish the series before, like the TV series before the books are done. No, it's definitely weird. Um, but ultimately, like, I'm not mad about it. Like, it's been one of my favorite things seeing this on TV. It's like the last appointment viewing show we have, right? Like, this is it. What happens after this? What is the next appointment viewing where you're like, I know I have to watch this on Sunday nights. I know I have to because someone's going to spoil it Monday morning. Right. This is it. So I don't know. I'm just happy to to be a part of this this ride. It felt like Breaking Bad might have been it. And that sucked because I just, I miss us all just kind of theorizing how this was going to end. And just those last few episodes were just such a rush that. And it's like, where does binge mode go from here too? You know, their Mm -hmm. Harry Potter stuff and their Game of Thrones stuff. And you're right about there's not that other show out there. And I would be, I would normally say, well, something's going to come along. But I feel like with the way that just people are consuming shows now and everything is so split up where there's all these different streaming services and there's so much content available on Netflix with all the original series. I'm not sure that the, the landscape just seems so diluted at this point that I, I wonder if they'll ever be like this next phenomenon. There probably will be, but it might take a while. Yeah. And I think it's going to split us off a little bit where like it, I've already seen this in some regards where it's like, everybody's like picking sides and picking teams of like, Oh, I'm watching this. You're watching that. And it's like, how do we, we, we don't have any kind of um, di- like converging paths when it comes to entertainment now where it's like, 
so decentralized yes so you're just like who do i like i can't talk to anybody about this because i don't think anybody else is watching dexter right now like everybody's watching this or that or like it's it's very difficult i feel like unless this is like maybe the best case for marriage is that you know for certain your spouse is probably going to be on the same page with you as what you're watching so you'll have more stuff to talk about what you're reading all that um because you see each other enough where like that just becomes a part of it that you can enjoy it with someone else because that might be it at this point because nothing else uh nobody else is watching the same stuff at the same time like back in the day it was seinfeld it was cheers and all this other stuff where people knew what time they had to be home and watch this and that and the other like i went through matlock a couple months ago love matlock no (laughs) one's watching matlock my age no one's doing it have no one to talk to about it it's really sad yeah, and it's like when's the when's the last time you sat through, like not just a single episode, but like uh, sat through like an actual television series on television? Like it's they're all released on Netflix, so you can binge watch them now. Or right. it's you know it's the HBO stuff where you don't have to worry about commercials. I can't think about the last time where I used to be, like when I was younger, it was Friends for me. Like that was the show that I was like, oh, it's Thursday night, eight o'clock. Like I need to sit down and and watch this or something. And that that might have been the last show that I felt uh, such a way about, probably. Yeah, probably that for me. I loved King of Queens. That was one of my last ones, I think. Like, sitcom-y stuff. How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother, uh, such an underrated show. People like to crap on it. Um, I will take no How I Met Your Mother slander. I thought it was great. Yeah, people got way too into the whole mother reveal. It's like, that's not what the show was ever about. It never had anything to do with the mom. Like, it was... no i I never really got i get like him going back to robin at the end was a little cheesy i think yeah it was cheesy but like people were freaking out because it was like oh they just threw the mother in at the end and um i I guess i won't spoil that one but like so they go with that spoil a sitcom that ended like six years ago fair enough so she dies and then he's back with robin but like the thing i always argued is like okay we were watching that two-part episode like this is how many years removed from that actually happening. So it's not like he just sprung this on his kids, like, you know, a week after the mom passed away. So that was, that, that seemed to be one of the biggest criticisms. And I was just like the, the timeline in the actual story for, and you were right. It had nothing to do with the mother, first of all. And then the timeline allowed him to move on. And Ted's an idiot. Like, of course he was going to end it that way, chasing the same thing he's been chasing forever and it never working out. Like that's been his character for 10 years. It's like, he wants what he can't have. He makes bad female decisions over and over again. And um, he finally found the right one. And then obviously things happened. And then he goes back. He spirals back to the same person um, the show started with, Robin. Um, I don't know. I thought that show was great. Uh, I thought Lily. I, I don't know. Who who did you think was more unlikable as a human being? Lily or Ted? I think Lily. Just I never really okay. got over um what she did to marshall to san francisco yeah yeah moved on like it was ted was annoying but he wasn't like ross on friends annoying <laughs> i think he was worse than ross you in terms ted of like sucks, this, man i don't like, know ross was so much i don't like possessive. whiny guys i don't like nice guys who broadcast their nice guys and things should nice things should happen to them because they're nice guys and he just well, he but, is the type of person that would drive me nuts in real life that's fair, but I think that he leaned into like the ridiculousness and the, just like the, the the unfairness of some of his mindsets or like his entitlement. Whereas I don't think with Friends it was like Ross was ignorant to mm-hmm. a lot of it, and that made him more annoying. If you watch Friends, like 
like uh, as an adult like when i i never really minded ross but i went back and watched i think it was like five years after the series and i was like oh i don't really like this guy yeah i think lily's the right answer lily was that, that was just such an underrated thing like what is happening what is she and he's just taking her back okay great whatever um it's a tv show i shouldn't get this mad about this but i remember being very upset at the lily stuff and just being like what is this she's killing marshall um Wow, we just spent like almost 20 minutes talking about anything other than basketball. I don't even realize that. Hopefully you have some TV fans out there and are <laughs> fans. I, I think so. I think there's some crossover between basketball <laughs> Twitter and uh, entertainment. I, I, I'm i not worried about it. Um, I don't know. My, my co-host Andy has some of the worst movie takes. He And he, he thinks that Harry Potter books and movies are stupid. He hates the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't actually know what he thinks of Games of Thrones. So I think he just hates fun and good content. Well, I can't even get into the Marvel stuff. I, I'll just say I'm not seeing any of the movies. Like, I, I don't care. Like, they're, I don't care. Like, if you give me a choice between the Dark Knight movies versus any of the Marvel movies, I'm watching all three Dark Knight movies. Any, like, right, the, the, but I like I, grounded realism. I, I can't deal with, like, the soulless, just commercialism of, like, world building and this guy does. The, like, I, I just, it doesn't work for me. I think it should work for kids. Marvel's, like, the perfect movie structure for children but like i can't get into it and people when they like get really emotional I'm like are we watching the same movie what, what is this what i don't get emotional about it i do really enjoy them though and i think it, you know if endgame comes out and then they just undo like everything and you just realize that because a lot of the movies like you don't really understand the stakes because everything just works there are out no stakes. Was, yeah but i think now with the way it was like they always sold like it building up to this Thanos stuff with Infinity War and then Endgame. And, like, after Infinity War, it felt like, even though you knew that, you know, Spider-Man's going to have a sequel, but it felt like there were stakes. And so I could understand getting frustrated or about the predictability of it, depending on how Endgame goes. But I don't know. I find them – I'm not a – I never really read comic books, but I I really enjoy the, uh, the Marvel movies. I have a take for you, and then we can move on to basketball. Spider-Man 3? More enjoyable than any of the Marvel movies. And oof, that is, <laughs> as far as takes go, that's pretty bad. I Tobey Maguire showed up to that like 25 times. pounds overweight, I think. Wait, what? There, you If you watch one of the scenes, he's like literally falling out of the Spider-Man suit. He stopped caring <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> I, now I'm going to, next time I watch it, I'm going to look for this. Part. I'm here for emo, Peter Parker. That was it's great. That was, I don't know how you can't, like, it's not a good movie, but it's enjoyable. It was it's the more, definition of doing too much. It was like the, like it was the Fast and Furious of superhero movies. Well, hold on. There's no such thing as a bad Fast and Furious movie. No, they the Fast and Furious movies I like, but like their plot lines are so ridiculous and always trying to do too much. Like, hey, what was it, Furious 7, where it's like, we're just going to be on this runway at 100 miles an hour for 15 minutes because the runway is apparently 200 miles long or whatever. Like, it's just... Everything's so over the top, and they're trying to do too much, but it works for them because it's supposed to be that. But Spider-Man Three, I don't know if that's what they were intending to do. I doubt that's what they were intending to do. Yeah, I don't know. But um, give me the Spider-Man trilogy from the early two thousands or the Dark Knight movies any day of the week over any of the the Marvel stuff. Now it's it's far more interesting, intriguing, and thoughtful, and uh, we get a James Franco wink. Um, so there's all kinds of great stuff. But this is a natural, easy transition to malcolm brogdon who uh is hurt 
and it's not good because he is one of their best on-off guys. He is a, a the definition of a underrated glue guy. Um, he's shooting like 60 billion percent from three this year. He's just been the president's been great. And Boonholzer has just been the perfect coach for him, as we probably all should have assumed. Um, he's played great alongside Bledsoe, who's just been great defensively and everything else. Like um, now they're kind of in a weird bind because it's like, is it Connaughton time? Is it Tony Snell time? Um, how does Milwaukee, in your opinion, replace 36 minutes a night of Malcolm Brogdon going forward? I think one, you probably hope that George Hill perks up a ton because he is like kind of like him and Malcolm Brogdon are supposed to be similar players. And I think what helps the Bucks is that while Brogdon's been just shooting the hell out of the ball from three, I was actually surprised when I was looking this up that he didn't like take as many attempts as I thought. Like uh, I think he was at 4.8 per 36 minutes. That's not a hell of a lot. And yes, he's the only player on their team shooting better than 40% from three. He's been just, there've been games where you watch him and you look up and it's, he has like 16, 20 points. And you don't even realize how he got there. Um, I think that they'll be able to get by just because of the supporting cast they have around Giannis. I don't know that a lot will need to change offensively. He might be, although we do have the Miritich injury, that could hurt them as well. But there there might be a bigger trade-off for them um, at the defensive end because he's important to what they do on that end of the floor as well. The Miritich stuff doesn't really bother me as much just because they have Ilyasova. And I think they have more depth in that area where, I mean, Pau Gasol is not even really playing and doing much for them, and we'll see what happens there. But um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's you're asking a lot of George Hill, and I feel like we had the same discussion on George Hill where it's like – he's nice to have but you don't want to be in a position where you're like hey george hill keep us together i think it's more of like george hill oh yeah we still have this guy um can you decide to um be a playmaker and shoot every now and then but then again that's what brogdon does he kind of hangs out on the outer edges and you kind of forget he's there but he's just doing a bunch and you just see he's like plus 12 in eight minutes and you're like oh right he he's for whatever reason just great at everything and um just it just efficient and that's what George Hill's always been like you said like he's just been a very efficient player he's just someone we've all I think collectively forgotten about (laughs) not forgotten about but it's just he should be better because he's so smart he's such a good shooter he should be able to get to the line more he's he has the length and look of a lockdown defender like he just he's just always going to be seen as an underwhelming guy who could have been a lot more um and see I think the even the reserve version of George Hill would be a great like facsimile of Malcolm Brogdon. The problem is, is that he has, he's just been bad since coming over Milwaukee. There've been long stretches where his defense has been fine, but he can't like, he just doesn't hit shots on a consistent basis anymore. And so that's probably, I think where my, I guess hope for them would, would fall apart is, you know, one George Hill is not going to give you, it doesn't seem like close to 30 minutes per game anymore. And even if he does, you know, can he shoot better than 27%? from three it used to just be a given that he could knock down these standstill looks and i don't you know his decline when you look at kind of just how he what he was doing in utah and then he goes to sacramento to cleveland to milwaukee it just seems that he's been on this weird decline like a steep decline which age 32 season fine but to fall apart over two years when you're still kind of in your prime is just bizarre yeah um I don't know. He's it's it's weird, and I'm sure Boonholzer and Pop text about George Hill a lot. I'm gonna go ahead and, and guess um, that they have some questions and thoughts on the George Hill experiment and everything that's come with. He's it. gonna uh, end back up in San Antonio this summer. I feel it. 
Well, they don't have enough point guards, so they should definitely add another one into the mix, um, especially with the healthy healthy DeJounte Murray. <laughs> yeah. Um, with, Who needs uh, wings in today's NBA when you have 19 point guards you could play at once? Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. And who won't shoot threes, though? DeMar DeRozan has taken one three over their nine-game winning streak. I mean, who's a more reluctant shooter at this point, George Hill or DeMar DeRozan? From three? Yeah. It's definitely DeMar DeRozan. They just, I, was thinking, I don't think he ever wanted to shoot threes, and the Raptors right. kind of forced him to, and then he comes to the Spurs, and Pop's like, no, nah, I hate threes. You don't need to shoot them. <laughs> yeah. Um, the funny thing about the Spurs, and I know you're very familiar with them, but Caleb and I, Caleb Sines and I were talking about the Spurs in the podcast a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that I just found interesting keeping up with them this year is that like DeRozan and um, Aldridge just been atrocious from three. They're two leading points per game getters. And then you have a couple other just atrocious shooters from deep. And then you have Burton shooting like 40%. Then you have Derek White. And then you have Patty Mills, and then you have Bellinelli, and you look at like they're either all shooting above average at an elite rate from deep, or absolutely atrocious. And that's why they have, I think, they have the best three point percentage in the NBA right now. They do, yeah. And it's because the only ones who shoot threes are the ones who hit them every other shot, and then the rest, he pops like you're never shooting a three ever. Right. I just don't even, and I. I, I Look, that's fine. Their offense has been really good this year. It's their defense that's been a problem, though it's been better in recent weeks. What I want, like, can they have just a high volume guy from three just once? I mean, like, if you're just looking at, like, I guess it's just because a lot of these players don't play a ton of minutes when you're, you know, behind DeRozan and uh, um, Aldridge. But you know, Marco Bellinelli is at seven point eight attempts per thirty six minutes. You have Patty Mills over seven, and like that's fine. But like, those aren't the guys that play a ton of minutes like it's you know it's davis bertans is over seven attempts for 36 minutes but are you going to play him even 20 minutes a game so i'm just it, like i want to see the spurs have and maybe danny green is probably the closest they ever came but i want to see them have like this 30 plus per game minute guy who takes like eight or nine attempts for 36 minutes i don't know if they're like if that'll ever happen under pop but like y- yes you know bellinelli can be that guy but you don't want to play him that many minutes i want like you know I, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I want that player who's going to chuck threes in volume while actually playing in volume. I think that's Derek White, right? I think he makes the most sense. In the future, yeah, but it still yeah. seems like... I'm. Did they just, like, tell him that he can't shoot more threes? Like, I'm, I'm still miffed that he's under three attempts per 36 minutes for the season, and he's, you know, 35% is fine. Like, if that's what you're going to shoot. Like, is it is it a rule that you can't attempt threes unless you shoot 39% or better? And that's really just how they've gotten up so high in the the three-point standings i honestly don't you know a guy like him um i would say even a guy like rudy gay like those are guys that should be you know, first of all lamarcus aldridge should be shooting threes like he was shooting threes towards the tail end of his time in portland and i think his first season in san antonio but maybe i'm willing that into existence then all of a sudden it's like no you know what we're good you go back to your contested two fadeaways all the time yeah um yeah he's never shot threes in san antonio he was his final season in Portland. He finally started getting some volume. And then I guess Popovich was just like, nope, stop. That was like part of the sit down was <laughs> just like, uh, we're not going to do that to you anymore. But I mean, they've won nine straight. So um, they're just um, I, I I had them penciled in for later, but we can just uh, keep going with the Spurs because and we can there were a couple of their Milwaukee things I wanted to jump back on real quick. But um, the Spurs like they're rolling and they're winning. They beat the Warriors. They're just they're surviving um, with their group. And part of 
what makes it interesting to me and something that I think is really helping them towards the end of a season like this is they really have like no young guys. So when you just have your two best players are just 10 plus year vets um, who still average over 20 points a game that still just can manage high usage rates. And then you just surround those guys with a bunch of role players who know how to be role players and aren't going to pretend to be anything other than that. Um, That's great for the regular season. Like that is just like the perfect recipe to beating all beating the teams you're supposed to um, surprising the teams that you shouldn't beat. Um, it, it's just, it's a very Spursian type deal, but that's my best um, rationale as to why this team is streaking. Why do you think this team is streaking at the present time? Definitely helps that, that because they have not been able to win on the road this season. It definitely helps that uh, seven of their last of those nine wins have come at home. Uh, the defense has looked just a lot better, and they've actually faced some pretty good offenses during this stretch. Denver was in there. Golden State, obviously not full strength, but but they were in there. Um, this version of the Pistons was in there. So what they've done a good job and probably done a good and not probably, but they have done a good job of all year is forcing teams into the right shots. Um, what's really been a problem for them is their rim protection has not, they've been getting killed from three, but they've also been bad at protecting the rim where it's not necessarily an absurd amount of volume they're letting up there, but they just haven't been a good rim protecting team. And during their nine game winning streak, they are the best rim protecting team in the NBA. So if you're going to be able to hold serve from beyond the arc or right at the basket while coaxing teams into a lot of those mid range jump shots, your defense can end up being fine and we'll have to see whether this is going to hold into the playoffs but people are ready to just pencil them out of the postseason and there's a real chance when you look at their schedule it's the fourth easiest schedule in the league to end the season and they're going to be fighting for postseason positioning right up until the very end they if they go eight and three which i don't think is out of the question when you look at the teams they're playing they've racked up another 50 win season which is just absolutely ridiculous the point you make about them just not having young guys is is just so true it's bizarre. They have one player under the age of uh, under the age of twenty four who's logged a thousand minutes this season. Like that's just uh, it's and and a lot of those guys who are older, like Derek White, age twenty four. This is only his second season. Davis Bertans is age twenty six season, only been around for a minute. So uh, it's and Bryn Forbes, like you forget that oh he's in his age twenty five season. It feels like he should be so much younger because these aren't guys that either came up. Uh, when they were younger, that the Spurs stumbled onto until they were older anyway. So San Antonio, it's a machine, but they do need, and I think that's why DeJounte Murray was so important to them, is they do need that swing prospect. And there's a chance it's Derek White, but he could reach his peak fairly quickly when you look at his age. Um, Lonnie Walker, maybe it's him, hasn't really played this season. I know he was dealing with injuries early on. He's young at age, but like they don't have that swing prospect who's supposed to be Murray, but what is he going to look like after his ACL? And it's arguably, or not arguably, it is tough to find that player when you're constantly drafting, um, not even like not even just outside the lotteries, which is mid and, and late 20s, which is the treadmill the Spurs are on. They're good at finding those talents, but are they going to ha- Do they already have their next franchise cornerstone on the roster who's not, obviously, DeRozan or Aldridge, or is this something they're going to have to really unearth later in the draft because it just doesn't seem like if you give this team um eight to 11 guys with a pulse they're going to churn out a playoff bound season yeah um if dejounte murray did not get hurt i do wonder if this team would be at two seed this year 
Because, like you said, like this offense has been fine. Their offense is good, like a top five offense, I believe, right? Aren't they in offensive rating? Are they top five? They're seventh on the year. Seventh. Okay, yeah. They're right there. Um, And their defense is what slipped, where it's like we've known about this team for years is their defense. And the offense can be amazing, like the years when they're playing the Heat, but it also can be a little bit chaotic. And they've had a lot of roster turnover. So you could assume that the chemistry, especially offensively, would be um, affected a little bit um but and then of course the Kawhi stuff which could throw a wrench in anything and like just having to change about just giving style. danny green away too i think we right. went on a rant about that last podcast that i was on with you yeah and it's it's interesting but um i don't know like i think if they had Dejounte, this is a top 10 offense and defense this year right like they're probably top 10 in both um and that would join the group of like you- i think the it's you just like what the Raptors, the the Nuggets, the the Celtics, and I think that's it, right? No one else is top ten in both. No, there's very few, uh, and I think the Bucks are still the only oh, the team Bucks, that are right. top five. In the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think that their offense would have still been fine with Murray in there? You bake in him and DeRozan, who don't shoot threes. Well, I think Murray would have shot threes. You think? Yeah, there was just too much offseason thing where it's like the Chip England stuff where it's been like his mission to turn DeJounte Murray into a good spot up open three point shooter. Look, if he turns Murray and then I'm sure the Spurs are going to sign Stanley Johnson over the offseason. If he turns them into three point shooters, he's just he might already be the three point whisperer because of what he did with uh, Kawhi. But if if he helps either one of those players, because Murray, Murray actually shot an okay percentage from three just on no volume in his rookie year. But he was bad last year and like. His jump shot isn't really that pretty looking. Has a nice looking floater even when they don't fall, though, in my opinion. Uh, if he reworks him, uh, that would be that'd be huge for the Spurs. But I don't think if you start them, that's fine. But you need to stagger DeRozan and Murray because you can't have a backcourt that just can't shoot threes. Yeah, I mean, he would play. I think they would have DeRozan at the three spot and just have Derek White and guys like that at the two. I mean, Bellinelli types, Forbes, whoever. Like, I think... I think he would, uh, Pop would stagger them uh, pretty nicely. Um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, oh, the other thing about the Spurs, I'm pissed that they're winning too much now because Caleb and I talked about this in the podcast, uh, but I I bet on the Spurs being the Nuggets that they got them in the first round because at the time they were penciled in at the seventh spot and they were going to get the Nuggets. And I was like, oh, this is worst case scenario for Denver team that has no playoff experience yet um i i just i have some questions i mean the isaiah thomas stuff's done so that's one crisis averted um that i said in this podcast by the way a month ago where i was like this is going to end badly and this is like one of those feel good stories that we're all rooting for it's like oh yeah the high usage guy is going to come in and do great things off the bench when monte morris is shooting like 40 percent from deep and knows his role and everything else and like isaiah thomas is gonna be fine no uh that, that was bad and he's it it just ended how we thought it was going to end and it sucks he's an easy guy to root for but he should never have been even inserted into the rotation should not have signed with denver to begin with he should have signed with orlando um played 30 minutes a game and uh gone and like doing what dj augustine's doing who by the way when he's in the floor for orlando they have a top 15 offense that's like that's a real thing that offense is good when dj augustine is on the floor it's amazing the difference between dj augustine look at the on off numbers for just offense with DJ Augustine in Orlando, it's staggering. Um, turns out Jerry and Grant not good at basketball. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that would have been cool, but now we're gonna get like Spurs Rockets, maybe Spurs Thunder, which would be amazing. Like the pressure of Russell Westbrook having to get out of the first round this year with um, uh, an ailing Paul George against 
the Spurs, Billy Donovan versus Pop. I mean, I guess that's another real like if you had to guess today, if they got matched up and the Spurs got the four seed and the Thunder got the fifth seed, who do you have winning that series? I think I would go with the Thunder. I still oh, don't okay. think that when you just look at some of the athleticism and switchability of Oklahoma City, uh, obviously not switchability for Russ, but still explosive. You have Jeremy Grant. Um, I think that Steven Adams would probably eat anyone that they're putting at center in in the postseason, whether it's LaMarcus Aldridge, whether it's Jakob Pertl. It's, I That seems like a Houston and Oklahoma City seem like pretty bad matchups for San Antonio in the in the first round. I actually wouldn't be so confident in them beating Denver. I could understand why, just because it does seem that Pop would be able to design a game plan around well around a team that runs its offense through its big man, and he's not the best defender. He's done better in aggressive pick-and-roll coverage this year, but when you look at some of the players San Antonio has now and what they're doing offensively and scoring in ways that a lot of teams just aren't accustomed to defending, I could see why that might be a favorable matchup. But if you end up with Oklahoma City or Houston, I think those are the two, outside of the Warriors, obviously, which is just a terrible matchup for anyone. I think those are the two teams that you want to avoid. And, I mean, you kind of brought it up. I'm I'm pretty high on the Nuggets, but is this a situation, you know, do the Jazz want to tread water as a seven seed? Is this why Oklahoma City's playing so poorly? It's not. But are they, like, they stealth tanking to the seven seed so they can face the Nuggets in the in the first round? I don't. I like that's just something that's super interesting because you said it's like the Spurs are winning so much and I guess Portland's a fine matchup I could see them beating Portland um but if you you know if you get to a point where Oklahoma City's in fifth as you said that's not uh, that's not a matchup that I would pick them to win what's going on with the Thunder uh too much uh their offense is just it looked like it had rebounded for a while it has not been good basically since valentine's day like it's it's been like pretty atrocious i think they are yeah they're 28th in offensive efficiency over their last 15 games um which they're five and ten in their bench really needs to give them something more offensively they have a lot of defensive talent coming off the bench but uh, over this 15-game span, this is what their reserves are shooting. 37.3% from the floor overall and 29.4% on threes. So they're shooting 37.9% on two-pointers. Uh, you need, you, you just need more offensive production out of your bench. And they've they've gotten lucky in the sense that some of their players who you wouldn't expect to shoot well from three, uh, Jeremy Grant all season basically uh, Russell Westbrook is up to 35% over that time Paul George's three-point shooting has declined but like you said he just he doesn't look particularly right uh, but then you know we move on to Terrence Ferguson he's regressed to the mean Dennis Schroeder's never found his three-point stroke this year and he has been an offensive nightmare for them over this stretch um, uh, Ab- Abdel Nader he's regressed to the mean now and so you just don't have this spacing or shooting really around you outside of a, a few of these guys and when you go to the bench and you're not dealing with exceptional playmakers because Dennis Schroeder is not necessarily worked out in that way. It, it becomes a, a real problem. Mar- Markeith Morris uh, was shooting really well from three and that he seems like he's kind of fallen off there. So that's something that could end up being their undoing in, in the playoffs, but they do need to get their uh, outside of their top guys. And I, I think I'd probably just say their four top guys looking at George rush, Steven Adams and, and grant, they, they need some of these players to really get their offensive acts together. 
I thought the Marquis stuff was weird. And when I was listening to certain people who I respect talk about that signing, it's like, oh, what a great move. And my thought was like, well, I mean, you have Nerlens Noel, you have Pat, who if he ever gets healthy, it's fine. If you, you have Adams, you you have Jeremy Grant who can play just 30 plus minutes and he's shooting well and he's just great. Like Jeremy Grant's just fantastic. And I was like, I don't know if that was like the thing that they really needed. Like they're just relying too much on this Terrence Ferguson spot. And Abrinas just leaving the team for personal reasons. And you're like, where is the shooting coming from? around Westbrook because like when Schroeder's in with him and like the numbers early on um, I don't know what they're at now with Westbrook and Schroeder on the floor together but they were surprisingly decent um, I remember earlier this season I don't know if that's still the case but um, I just thought that like Wesley Matthews was the move like I was like I would have had been focused on somebody like that or um, doing what I could to get Tim Hardaway or something like that I just I, I would have looked at anything other like I just thought that they needed a shooter to play that Terrence Ferguson spot come playoff time. I didn't think they need, because Keith's not playing in the crunch time, right? What's the no, point? he's not. And I mean, I mean, the, for the Keith stuff, I think Patrick Patterson has just been that banged up slash bad yeah. since he's been there. Um, you're right about the shooting. Here was the problem for them is that they were so deep into the repeater tax that matching salary in trades was just so tenuous and they don't have really a lot of trade assets to begin with. And so you're, you're saddled by that. And again, not wanting to go deeper in the repeater tax. And then this is what I think, um, people didn't, or maybe they did understand it because we didn't really talk about Oklahoma City as a great buyout market destination. But if you're a guy like Wayne Ellington, you're yeah. not going to be moved around off the ball. Like the Thunder need someone to just stand there right. and hit threes. And so in Wesley Matthews' case, he even point blank said it. I respected him just coming out and saying, you know, like I wanted minutes and like he's in a contract here and he's not, you know, Wesley Matthews seems like he's 40, but I think he's only 31 or 32 or whatever it is. So he wasn't actually even going to get touches on the ball. Um, in Oklahoma City. And you could say that about pretty much anyone that came to light. You know, the Reggie Bullock stuff, that's fine, but Oklahoma City didn't have um, a prospect and a second-round pick to just give up and to make the money work. Like, getting Reggie Bullock was an actual chore uh, for them. Reggie Bullock, however anyone pronounces it now. So uh, that him, he would have been an ideal uh, acquisition for them, but they just didn't have the tools to do it on the trade market. And then when you're someone who's on the buyout market, uh, I don't think you look at the Thunder as just that as if you're a complimentary piece, that's not necessarily a, a team that, that you want to play for when you look at how their offense is run. Or JR, who's just gone this year. That's a good other player. You just don't have the salary matching to trade. You need him to be waived. God, is there, was there any, is, is, can we, like, did Sam Presti have just really no realistic options because the repeater tax, is that it? He just couldn't do it. So he was just like, all right, I guess we'll just add Markeith. Well, I'm at that, I'm, I'm of the mind that it's not my money, but I'm also not going to, I think, the, one of the biggest cons of NBA fandom, and even when you look at the media, is like when we commend teams for ducking the luxury tax. Like we're just we're almost trained to like praise these billionaires for cutting costs at the expense of millionaires uh, and title windows. So I'm not one of those people. So no, I tend we... to I'm like you know for the Bucks for instance, they dump all that salary. Um, they now have a path to keeping Brogdon. Bledsoe, who they already extended, and maxing out Chris Middleton and maybe keeping Lopez without going into the tax. I respect that, but if if they have to go into the tax to keep all these guys together after making the NBA Finals or making the Eastern Conference Finals and they don't, like, no, you, you keep that core together because you don't have other options. So I think I would have been of the mind, hey, we're so deep into the repeater tax anyway, screw it, but that's definitely not how it works. And I think with the way they handled the Carmelo Anthony situation or even were prepared to handle it if they were going to stretch him and you look at some of the other cost-cutting moves they made this season that they were they're very much aware of how deep into the repeater tax they are 
I can go ahead and tell you, you don't have to worry about the uh, the Bucks going to the NBA Finals. You don't think they're going to come out of the East? No, I have I, the Raptors. I've had all year. The Raptors are winning the NBA Finals this year. The Raptors are winning. Winning. I have I have them coming out of the East still, just because when you the look Bucks at the, the Raptors, the Raptors, they were okay, my preseason yeah. pick, and what I've liked is that they, not that they haven't been good, but I like watch them, and I still don't feel like they've come together yet. I would just, agree. Yeah, they've dealt with so much turnover injuries um leonard still exists outside of the offense for long stretches which that's not something you're magically going to heal but they are a team when you at least look at their depth um they're probably not going to come together into the postseason so that's the right time but i'm i can't argue with people who are going to say that the bucks are the odds on favorites because they've actually just been really dominant and i guess now i'm i'm saying all this and i just totally forgot that you're missing brockton and so that that really is a huge loss for them but there's i would expect I'm not sold on the Sixers. I the Celtics have me tripping. I don't. There's not. You know, I, if I'm a team in the East, I don't want to face the Nets. But there's really not a dark horse now with Victor Oladipo out for the Pacers that can come in and punch anyone in the mouth. I would expect it to be Bucks and Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. I had Bucks Raptors until Brogdon went down, and now if we get Celtics in the fourth five spot and they get the Bucks in round two, I think I'm taking Celtics at this point. Look, here's what I, I so I root for chaos, mm-hmm. and I, I need Boston to. I, it's not going to happen because they're playing the Pacers, but I need them to fall apart against the Victor Oladipo list Pacers in the first round. That would make the offseason just so interesting on so many levels. When you look at Kyrie's free agency, the Anthony Davis trade stuff, what are people going to say about Brad Stevens at that point? Um, what are they going to say about Gordon Hayward, who's been playing? really well of late uh alongside jalen brown i i root for chaos and i'm i'm totally fine with boston getting bounced in the first round and here's the thing is that i don't think there's a team in the league that has like a more wild swing between their floor and their ceiling like if boston is going to continue to be this inconsistent i could see them losing in six games to the pacers as they are now at the same time if they're going to play up to what we've seen when they play the warriors they could win the NBA championship. And I don't think you can say that about any other team in the league. They're not winning the championship. I, I'll go ahead and tell you. The, the but I'm saying if, you, if they came out, look, if someone, I think right now of the Eastern Conference is power four, they look like the least likely, or if you don't believe in the Sixers. No, I think the Sixers are the least likely. They just, one bad injury and it's over. Like, they're just too thin. I, I don't trust. Fair enough. Five. I love so their you, five. I just don't trust it. I think, but uh, so I guess what the point would be is like if someone told you the Celtics are coming out of the East, you know, maybe you're just, that's not the team you're going to pick. It wouldn't surprise me. And then they've played the Warriors well, basically yeah. this entire dynastic stretch. If someone told me they won the NBA championship, you know, anyone who beats the Warriors, it's a surprise. But like that, like if, you, if you're re- surprised, it's really hard to win this many times in a row and go to the finals this many times in a row. And they're not good defensively this year. There's been a lot of weird KD stuff. There's no, just, I'm not. Look, I, what are they, even 15th if they hate each other. Rating? Yeah, they're they're pretty low, but they've been really good defensively when Draymond Green plays the five, and that's mm-hmm. it, that's always sort of been their playoff. That's a problem. So, is are we just going to sit there? Yes. Look, okay. but, oof, I think that's the that'll be something to watch. But even if this team hates each other, which I I don't really know what's going on with Kevin Durant, but even if there's just that tension, even if Boogie is is pounding on the sidelines, I will believe the Warriors are vulnerable when I see it. And it's, I've been that way with the Spurs where I refuse to pick them to miss the playoffs this year. Like I will believe that this run for San Antonio is over when I see it. And I'm just at the same way with the Warriors because this isn't, this isn't that Cavaliers team from the East where we imagined that they had a switch because they played 
good defense when they were banged up in 20, uh, that was 2015. The, the switch, the Warriors actually have a switch. Like there, there is a switch and Andre Godal is the perfect example. He's looked more engaged um, than last year during the regular season, but he is a different player in the postseason. And I think Draymond Green is a different defender in the postseason. I will believe that this team is legitimately vulnerable when I see it. And my my argument here is who is beating them four times in seven tries in the West? Who's no, doing not in the West? I think the West, that's what's so interesting is like all the realistic challengers. And like we we joked about the East forever. And I think the East has the two closest. I mean, just because of what's happened with Houston and their injuries and Chris Paul having to come back the way he did um, and Capella going down and their depth just not being what it was a year ago. Like there's just so many different variables. Bezedlik having to come out of retirement to save their defense and it's still not even top 10 like it was. Like it, the the Blazers get have CJ McCollum go down. They have AD falling out of favor. There's just all kinds of stuff that worked in their favor. And I think they're salivating over the opportunity of getting like Denver in the Western Conference Finals. Um they would they would love that would be my guess. But like if Kawhi's waiting and you remember that series from a couple years ago where Kawhi gets hurt obviously. Um, that might have been Zaza Pachulia might have forced Kawhi Leonard out of San Antonio. The right. beginning of the end in that moment. I I mean they were not going to win that series I don't think, but they were going to push them. That the way that game was going and the way that series was going to go it seemed like the Spurs were going to give the Warriors everything they could possibly handle. And Kawhi is now on a better basketball team and is averaging 27 points a game in twenty in uh, 30 minutes. He's not been unleashed yet. He's missed a ton of games. He's missed, like, what, 15, 16? Um, they're saving him for the playoffs. Like, there's we do about switches. I am so ready for playoff Kawhi because they're going to ramp it up. He is, like, their whole franchise, the 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 trajectory for the next 10 years maybe is based on this playoff run what this turns into Masai Ujiri and this coaching staff I I firmly believe have been waiting Pascal Siakam getting a lot of run like he's evolving OG Nobi hasn't been himself Fred Van Vliet got hurt but they acquire Marcus Gasol who can play like the poor man's Duncan in those last couple Spurs years um I they don't really have a weakness Danny Green's amazing still I Kyle Lowry not shooting well enough but like Hmm. I just they have all the makings, and I just can't wait for thirty-four and ten and ten nights, uh, ten and four, six nights because Kawhi is never going to get that many assists again. But he's maybe that many steals. He might average six steals a night. <laughs> um, I I just I, I'm ready for it. I just think people need to be prepared for what they unleash with Kawhi Leonard come playoff time because if they make the finals, they probably keep Kawhi. Like it all comes down to what happens um, in the playoffs for them more than any other team. And if they win. Kawhi's not going anywhere and then he's re-signing long term probably and then they're th- maybe the new Spurs uh, that's a pretty bold statement I would think no matter what happens that he returns I'm not completely sold there I think they've done a great job of making it so that if he leaves it is neither a basketball nor financial decision it's I want to go play for the Clippers I think that could still be a basketball decision based on how good they- they've only won six games less than the Warriors this year like the Clippers I, that's where Kevin Durant should go. If Kevin Durant picks New York over the Clippers, he's out of his fucking mind. But um, I trust that group now. Like they have a lot of smart people in that front office. Doc's a great coach. They're they have a great like just the perfect mixture of vets and young guys. Like I just everything about that team is trending up, and everything is trending down in uh, Lakerland. Like there's just no reason for him not to do that. Like. Kevin Durant should go to the Clippers and then Jimmy Butler should join him. Like, that's what I would do. 
that or the I think the Nets would be if Kevin Durant's no, going to go to New York, no, go to Brooklyn. No, yes. No, yes. No. 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 Oh no. Can't do what it. is the, what is the no? Why? Because it's it, that's Russell's team now. No. Oh, I can't. I've been getting shit on for my D'Angelo Russell takes. I'm of the mind that he is a very good basketball player, deserves to get paid. I just don't think he's going to be that guy that can be the the best player on a quasi oh, contender. I don't disagree, but I think it's like the Westbrook Paul George stuff a little bit, where it's like Paul George is clearly a much better basketball player than Russell Westbrook, but it's still Westbrook's team. Well, then he can't he go to the Clippers him. either because that's Gallo's team. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. Like that would be his only shot to have his own team. And it'd be molded in his image. Balmer seems like the kind of owner that Katie would like. Um, I, I just, that would be his stamp. Like, that's that's his team, his group. I think I think the Knicks and KD at this point are meant for each other because they are they both seem so miserable collectively. Yeah, that's not going to help anything. Like, picking James Dolan, like, I just, I would have no sympathy. Like, I hope it doesn't work out if he does that. Like, it's dumb. To join Scott Perry, Steve Mills, James Dolan? Yeah, I don't... I no. people are convinced that they're getting two free agents this year. And I'm just, I'll, just that's another thing. Agents, two top 10 players. Yeah. Like that's, I'll, I'll believe it when I see yeah, it. No, and I, I don't will, believe it either. I think KD is going to the Clippers. I think that's what's going to end up happening when he gets in that room with all those different guys. And he finds that he's going to be able to get a. It's going to be easier to get a star to go to LA than New York. I think. Well, um, it should be in theory. Um, but Rich Kleiman wants to be the general manager of the Knicks. So that might be a little bit easier if KD's playing for, Playing for said Knicks. I guess. It's also, I don't think Kawhi wants to play with Kevin Durant. Ever I would since agree, the, and he shouldn't. I, I want them on different teams. No, I agree with you, but I'm saying if if I'm the Clippers, there's a chance I might want Kawhi Leonard more than Kevin Durant. Mm, no, I'd rather have Kevin Durant, but um, all things considered, I would rather have Kevin Durant, but I still think uh, Kawhi, we don't have to worry about it because Kawhi's winning the NBA championship this year. Uh, that I can't. I can't imagine any. I will say that I think the three biggest threats to the Warriors are in the East. I would still be pretty surprised if the Warriors lose. I'm not saying I think that series between the Raptors and the Warriors, or even the Bucks, assuming Brockton's back and healthy, like th- those could be good series. Even Boston, Golden State, but I just really have a tough time imagining anyone beating Golden State four times in seven tries. Well, you heard it here first, folks, and. Uh... There you go. Um, are you surprised at all about Doc's interest in coaching the Lakers? I think he came out and said that he has zero interest in coaching the Lakers, and that is the non-surprise of the century because they are such a terrible. See, I don't believe that. That's just dumb. That's like going too hyperbolic, where it's like no interest. Like, th- get the fuck out of here. Like, you like there's it's no different way you have zero interest. He signed an extension to stay with the Clippers, so like you you can say that you're not. Well, no, he's had a verbal one. He hasn't signed anything. No, I think it was a... No, it was it, a verbal. He said he and Steve Ballmer talked, uh, had an agreement. Like, they have nothing in writing. Oh, I was pretty sure there was something signed. I thought there was something signed over well, we the... we don't office. even know that, really, because coaches' contracts aren't, like, released like that, right? They don't have to... And they can pay him whatever they want and all that. What is it? I don't think Doc has signed an extension. I'm pretty sure he is not. And also, that doesn't matter with coaches. Like, I think you could sign an extension and still do whatever. Um... If he signed an extension, he could still say goodbye and make him trade him. Kind of like what he did in Boston. Um, I just, why would you want to coach the Lakers? I'm right there with I don't want to. I don't, not even just the Lakers. I, I think coaching Lakers a year ago might have been intriguing. That's why Luke Walton it was in Lakerland. It was intriguing. But coaching LeBron at this stage, and I wanted to ask you, like, what would be the interest? Like, why would you want to coach LeBron at this point in his career? 
Sounds miserable. Well, it's if you're like a LeBron approved candidate, that's why you want to coach LeBron. Right. Because you're not that's actually going to coach him. It's like that last, it has to be a guy who's like a last ditch. He's definitely a former player, definitely someone who's hands off and lets LeBron do his thing. Like it has to be like this very, very specific kind of coach. And it's like you're not even a coach at that point. You're just like the PR guy. Like I don't even know what you're like. You can't really call yourself a coach. Yeah. It's, I mean, Look, in the Lakers free agency pitch, too, there are still Lakers. I think some of Lakers fans have started to come around to the idea that they're going to have to settle. I don't even know if I'm going to use Kemba Walker as an example. Um, an increasing number of people around the league do not think Kemba Walker is going to go back to Charlotte. And if he was to leave Charlotte, I think a lot of the reflexive response has been, oh, he like he'll just go to L.A. with the Lakers. I'm not entirely sure that they would be his first choice. But that would be perfect. I talked about uh, this in the pod last week that I thought that's perfect and the hornets missing the playoffs was like the underrated part of all this like it's one thing to go to the playoffs every year and him have his moments and then get the the playoff money but for them to fall out of the playoffs and the last year of Kemba's contract like money talks so we'll see sean hyken uh still believes that he's going to take the money that they can offer him because it's going to be an egregious 40 plus look if he makes an all nba team which i think it's um, people have talked about this. That third team, those two spots are going to come down to Clay Thompson, Bradley Beal, and Kemba Walker. I think and there's if you a put re- Kemba before any of those two. I just I, are are you watching basketball? Well, I would probably put him before Clay Thompson. Why? I just respect the workload and the degree of difficulty of his role, and I think that needs to sort of count. They are. If you watch the Hornets, are literally like I'm not disagreeing, but that's part of the reason they struggle is because they're all kemba all the time like I but they, it's to, because they have to be like this is kind not of that's no not, no this is not like no hold on i, I who is the hornet's second best player uh it's a good question um oh god who is their second like i exactly. i want to say cody zeller and yeah I, that's I, a I problem gr- and you know what if it's jeremy lamb that's also a problem yeah. and the other problem with them is that you have nick batum who's like dead last on the team there was the last time i checked he was like He's been playing better of late, but he was second to last on the team in shot attempts per 36 minutes. Like you can't pay a guy max money uh, who's not going to really shoot the ball with any sort of volume. And that's what they when you look in crunch time, he's been willing to give the ball up at points, but he can't like this team just they fall apart if they don't have him on the court. Although they did the other night, they actually came back when he played six minutes, I think, against the Sixers. They hung tough, but like they just don't have that clear number two and their offense the way that he plays, it's almost out of spite because like he can't he can't play another way. Like where you saw him when uh, Jeremy Lin was there and he was able to play off the ball more. And there have been times, even over the past couple of years, where they can run sets for him off the ball. He they just they can't do it with the talent they have around him. And I respect that. When you look at his efficiency, you know what? No, it's not great, but he's taking basically more pull up three pointers than anyone but James Harden. And if we're gonna celebrate James Harden for what he's doing, yeah, it's better results. Uh, James Harden has better talent around him, and this isn't comparing the two. I wouldn't pick Kemba Walker over Bradley Beal, but I'm certainly going to pick him over a guy who I think is underrated defensively now in Clay Thompson, but he's still the number three, sometimes number four option on his own team. What does Kemba do better than Clay Thompson this season? Well, can what is Clay, what is Clay Thompson's from scratch burden? Like, what is he? Clay Thompson's averaging like negative three dribbles per shot. Like he doesn't. If the Hornets were offered Clay for Kemba straight up this year, do you, do you think they say yes? No. Like, do they even? No. This isn't. No, I don't think they would. For, I mean, it's 
there's too many logistics in there. But like, if you're needing to, st- unless Kemba, like, you have a better chance of one, in my opinion, keeping Kemba. But if you knew that they were both going to stay, I think it's exponentially harder to build a team from scratch around Clay Thompson than oh, it is Kemba Walker. I disagree because I think Clay is easier to play with. I think Clay. Um, it's easier to able- play with, but you need. You need the guy that Kemba. I don't think Kemba Walker's not Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard, but you no. need he can come close to approximating them. Whereas Clay Thompson's not going to be able to. And the toughest part, I don't think that's any Clay, rebuild. Though we don't know, he's twenty. But that's never that's also the, fair. But like that unknown is. I think like, he'd be Devin kind of Booker built. just with better defense. I mean, if you could tell, if you could tell me that Clay Thompson was going to be Devin Booker with, but I, I still, I'm not entirely sold. That's what on, I think he would. I mean, that's what I, I, I really do believe. That's who he'd be. If he like it, that's what he would look like. Just uh, but just imagine the defense. It would be interesting. It would be even be interesting to see Clay Thompson as a number two again. Like he's when, averaging twenty two a game. Like it's a career yes, high, by the way. He doesn't need to dribble. Like, and he I'm doesn't. not. Look, I don't want to take credit away from him, but I I think the degree of difficulty of your role sort of has to factor in. And yeah, you know, I don't if think that's has... his fault though. That seems like we're we're he was drafted by the team. Something like he signed with them. It's just part of it. Like he's there's so what are we really penalizing Kemba Walker for? Because he well, can't shoot um, a zillion percent on a team that has no so other offense though. And I I can't say who this was who I was talking to, but it was a it was an executive um very familiar with um Kemba Walker. And part of the reason that this team um is just so bad in crunch time. Like they're insanely unlucky the last couple of years. And it's because he likes playing a certain way. And he likes doing the Yukon stuff, like the ISO stuff. He likes playing a certain way. He is someone that I genuinely think is difficult to play with because he really does see himself as like a Steph Curry type or like a dude who just wants to do it all himself even though he's not good enough to validate, like we're running all of our stuff through him. We're letting him close all of our stuff. Like it's hard to develop around him i think malik monk and jeremy lamb and michael gilchrist and um okay Bridges, we'll see i i'm not say, like i do think it that i don't know i think there is something to kimbo walker being difficult to play with and being someone he should be partly to blame for this team not working as a functional offense going forward because i do think he wants too much of the burden but they uh, look here's where i'm just gonna diverge they are a functional offense when he's on the floor and then when he comes off, they're not. And if you're going to surround him with guys like Jeremy Lamb and Malik Monk and Michael K. Gilchrist, where are the shooters who don't need the ball? Where where well, are the shooters? On that the should team? be Lamb and Monk. The, they're not those players, though. No, not yet. So you can't. I'm not. You can't. They're not. Malik Monk is never supposed to develop into this off-ball threat. They have not put the right talent around Kemba. I don't think he's done done any. I think him and Miles Bridges are actually an interesting duo to watch moving forward. I. I they have not put the talent necessary around him for us to say you know what it's fair to say that we don't know what Clay is going to be like as a number one that's fine but Kemba Walker I don't know how it's hard to play alongside him when they haven't given him a player yet that's failed that you can truly say well he was supposed to be a perfect fit for Kemba Walker like are you going to blame Kemba Walker for Nicholas Batum who's basically he was a ball dominant wing when when he came they just they have all these ball dominant players on the perimeter or there are guys like Michael K. Gilchrist who shooting threes this year, but he can't really shoot. It's just, you know, Malik Monk, again, a ball dominant guy. I just don't, I don't see how they've ever found him a good fit. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. There was one other thing about the Lakers. I wanted to ask you rank these. I think the next head coach of the Lakers can be one of these three rank them in terms of most likely for you one, or I'll do 
I'll just list them. Lou, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson. It's going to be one of those three. I just, I'm curious what you think it will be of those three. What's the I hope it's, likelihood? I hope it's Lou because it's a hyster- that would be just hysterical because mm-hmm. then you just, the whole LeBron not, I do think some of the narrative to that where LeBron is the GM is, is painfully overrated. But if you bring his coach over from Cleveland that, that like came to replace David Blatt, that would be hysterical. I, it shouldn't, I, I, I'd probably be oddly most okay with Lou though, because I don't think Jason Kidd is um, a good coach. And I also think that Mark Jackson is, is just like, I is terrible. I just, when you look at what the Warriors were able to do without him, and it's not even just, I know that they sort of lucked into Draymond Green with the David Lee injury, if you want to call it that, but the way that uh, they were able to unleash Stephen Curry at points, what they've been able to do, obviously with Clay Thompson, when you look at um, what they've been able to do with Andre Godala and the way they play, he seems like a very limiting often, uh, a, a very limiting coach. And I would say Jason Kidd is um, sort of in that same vein. I know that people have said, well, the spacing was different in Milwaukee when he was there. And it's like, well, the personnel in Milwaukee actually hasn't changed that much this year. They got Brooke Lopez. Like it's, uh, so I, that's, I don't think either of those three options are ideal for the Los Angeles. I guess the catch 22 there is they're not going to sign some non-former player who is not, not a veteran coach. Right. But you wouldn't, would the lake would lebron even approve of him is the no, problem that's the thing is like it's right. going to be someone it's a terrible job like that's just what it is like now. he wouldn't like, want a torn messina either like he's not no yeah oh you know what there's one guy we should probably consider too actually two we're gonna throw two more in here i don't know if mikhail has it in him to coach a laker team but like kevin mikhail at this point i i could see signing on for lebron stuff but um him being in a trump rally probably is not great for his uh, potential uh, working relationship with LeBron James, but um, Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> that would be so funny can we when re- LeBron's can we averaging really 40 minutes out? a night. Yeah, that would Magic be. Magic Johnson definitely loves him. Like, it's one of those where he's like, that dude's just a winner. And he, like, no one's told him that, like, you know, he got fired by Minnesota and they've been better since he's been gone. And, like, defensively, they've been better too, which is even crazier. I could see Tibbs in Lakerland. Uh, the most likely out of that bunch, like it, it, Lou would be fine though. Like he played, he's a former Laker. It's an easy sell. Like I think fans would be okay with Tyron Lou. I wonder if they wouldn't hire him. Like if Magic Johnson wouldn't hire him because he doesn't want to give off the appearance that LeBron has has so much power. He mm-hmm. of those of anyone you mentioned, I think actually Lou's probably the best choice. I could see it being Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson though too. Kid just needs to go back to Cal. Like I think they're looking for a new coach. Go. He might be a good college coach That's because he seems like he was. When you look at the Bucks, the he was like Johnson good at thing. getting them to a point. Yeah, go to it's college. Just, they need like he's just not the guy to get you past that. Like the Bucks need like how the Warriors went from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr was like how the Bucks went from Jason Kidd to Mike Budenholzer. And I don't think I don't necessarily think uh, Luke, Luke Walton's rotations have been pretty bad at points, and there are people who are smarter with X's and O's on offense. Um, they've criticized what he's done. I don't know that you're going to bring in some expert schematic guy and get lebron to play that way there was talk of him playing more center and off the ball lebron has never played that way that's why teams have failed to develop uh, systemic approaches around him is because for 35 to 40 minutes a game it's had to have been lebron doing stuff because that's how he wants to play i've i've decided it's tips i think that's who it's gonna be i think it's gonna be tips he him or mark jackson 
when you look at how the Lakers theoretically would want to play offensively around LeBron would be the most just like the cleanest fit with LeBron where their first instincts yeah. would be to play the way that he wants to play. It's going to be interesting. Uh, last thing, and then we have to go. Um, the Atlanta Hawks um, hosted the Houston Rockets. Um, I'm very familiar with the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, I don't know if you recall, there was a 2005 draft where the Hawks <laughs> selected um, number two. They took uh, Marvin Williams with uh, Darren Williams and uh, Chris Paulson on the board. Uh, Marvin Williams, fine NBA player, still in the league, not a superstar. And uh, Chris Paul, uh, just it, it was bad at the time. Now, uh, flash forward 14 years, the Hawks made another franchise-altering mistake by um, taking Trey Young, trading down um, from the best player in the draft and taking maybe the third best player in the draft, which is honestly like, I feel like I've ranted and raved about this and now the new narrative is like, see, both teams won. It's like, well, no, both teams did not win. The Hawks have just lost less. That's that's fine. You can say that. Like, he's still a defensive real plus minus nightmare. He's still going to get destroyed come playoff time in big time minutes. Like, he is not going to get to the point where he's going to be able to be a two-way force of nature like Luka Doncic is. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, that said, will he be fun as hell? to watch in the Hawks for the next 10 years? Absolutely. He's shooting lights out. He's a lot of fun pulling up from 40 feet. Like, it's great. I enjoy it. Um, he's not going to be anywhere close to Luka. He's not anywhere close to Luka now. Like, it's ridiculous. Stop saying that. Stop saying that, folks. Like, he can still be good. Like, this team is not going to win a title. None of these guys project to be a top 15 player in the league ever. Ever. Love Herder, John Collins, and Trey Young. Their chemistry, they're just, they're fun. They're going to be like the Suns, where they're going to be a really fun team for years and years, they're going to win 50 games in like two years from now. And they're going to be there for about five to six years, kind of like the Joe Johnson Hawks. They're going to be good for a long time. They have no potential upside because none of those guys are going to be in that conversation of ever being they, mattering enough. And now they're too good to get a Zion, to get someone, an RJ Barrett, whoever. They're too good. So they're out. Um, congratulations. I uh, God. I hate it. Um, but that felt good. I love getting this off my chest because this Twitter is not the place for it. And it drives me nuts. But anyway, the Hawks 14 years ago had the same opportunity. And Chris Paul said when speaking to reporters, I got up at the draft, Paul said, of when the second pick was about to be announced. They pretty much told me they were picking me. I found a house in Gwinnett County. I grew up in Gwinnett County, by the way. Spent the first 18 years of my life and everything. He could have lived down the street from me growing up. Could have had Chris Paul in my county? How does Look, this happen? The, yeah, the I think a good way to put it is that the Hawks are going to lose the Doncic trade. Let, They've already lost. Here's my thing. I I don't think that we can declare them losers yet, and it's not that I think that Trey Young is ever going to match Doncic's value. I actually think you're going to probably tick too far by saying he'll never be a top 15 player knowing what we know about the NBA and what he can do as a passer and a scorer. I know the defense is going to be a problem, but if you put the right personnel around him eventually, um, right now they're bigs, maybe aside from Dwayne Dedman, he's not someone you want to anchor the defense either. But my, I think what you have to look towards, and this looks, this is where they will probably lose because it looks less and less likely that's going to happen, is is the gap between Trey Young and Doncic going to be smaller than whoever you draft with that Mavericks pick? Now, in this draft, if it was six or seven, not a great chance, but there's a chance. Now with the Mavericks looking like they're going to keep this pick this year, if they keep that pick, now we fast forward to next year when they have 
KP and Doncic, whoever they draft, which would be really funny if they were the team that won Zion, um, and whoever they sign, they're going to have cap space this year. Now all of a sudden that pick slips to, what, 16 to 20, and that's where you end up losing the trade now. I, I Again, it's for me, in the moment, I still would have I, – I just – I would have taken Doncic. Like it's so – even at the time, I they're just not as egregious losers right now, and they have the potential to get to the point where it was an even trade. And I think Trey Young will eventually be good enough to where this is one of those things that sort of gets forgotten, like um, how we forgive, like you know, like people have forgived like what the Knicks gave up for Carmelo Anthony type deal. When That's that not was as bad. That's not as bad. You got a superstar. You still got the best player. No, in the that deal. was a t- no. Please don't even. Carmelo Anthony was not worth that package they gave up. You I look think at it was. If you got more talent no. around him, I really do. Like if no, they had found a way, if they had been better about managing their books and been able to get another superstar to knock on the Chauncey Billups and Amari Stoudemire and Tyson Chandler and just everything else, Ray Felton, like they they they, they messed up around him. But like they gave up pieces. more for Carmelo Anthony than the Clippers had to give up for Chris Paul, even in the moment. That's a huge problem. I'm not saying it's bad, but they still got a really good player out of it. Like I don't. So did the I Hawks. It's eh. if you're that low on Trey Young, I think we're it's a it's a different story. But again, I think he's never going to be as good as Doncic, and where they are going to lose the trade is what that first round pick turns into. It's lucky for them that he has Trae to be Young a franchise is- cornerstone. Like that's the thing is he has to be someone who profiles as a top ten player. If he doesn't, then they lost. Because Doncic is going to be a top 10 player in this league for a long time. Right. But I think with if you're looking at the aggregate value, I don't think he needs to be a top 10 player. But it does. does. If they want to be a title contender, if they want to make this work. I agree that that Trey Young would need. Look, if Trey Young turns into a top 20 guy and then they're drafting another top 25, top 30 guy with that pick, someone with that potential. They're the Blazers. (laughs) I can't. No. They're the Blazers at that point. Congratulations, folks. You made Portland East. I look again. I think they should have taken Doncic. I don't think that they won the trade, nor do I think that they will win the trade. But I think you're until we see what that pick turns into, like that's something that you have to go back and and relitigate. I still again, and this is me saying this, knowing they will inevitably probably lose the deal. There, there's no scenario really where they win that deal unless something you know, barring catastrophe with Luka Doncic or the Mavericks all of a sudden just being a terrible franchise and they can't put a winner around him. But I think what's helped them is that Trey Young, to me, Trey Young does have that top. I could see him being an all NBA guard in a season. And that's he important. He is dead last in defensive real plus minus behind Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Derek Rose, Zach Levine. Who was, who on the Hawks is an exceptional defender around Trey Young? Uh, John Collins. Dwayne is not Kevin. an exceptional de- defender. No Kevin way. Herter is that dude can play. Kevin, Kevin Herter's, Herter's like Luke Kennard in the sense that, oh, he's better on defense dude, than he can move. He's a good defender. Kevin Herter's going to be a good defender. Um, Baysmore? He's always been, to me, overrated defensively and underrated offensively. They're Look, a better defensive team than they are offensive. Right. That uh, their, their coaching there is fantastic. I'm just saying, who is like who is like the that you're looking Justin at? Justin Anderson? <laughs> he's good. He can play defense. He's they always been have a lot of capable defenders, but yeah, my, who is there? Like, I don't, I don't even know how to phrase it, but like, they don't have this, like they don't have a lockdown rim protector and no. they don't, I don't think they have someone who can anchor. It's fine that their uh, defense is better than their offense, but they, they still aren't an average defensive team. Who is there 
defensive anchor. Who who is their defensive anchor? And it's if you can't ever build, if it gets to the point where we're we're talking about, you know, I, I mean, even I'm trying to think of what would be a good example. Even Derek Rose, who was never good so defensively. So do they need their like the Yusuf were... Nurkic to complete their Portland East strategy? Is that what you're saying? We need to find our own uh, Yusuf Nurkic. They need a player who's not going to be more so the byproduct of their defensive system is what they need. Great. Got if it. you gave them Robert Covington. Nothing changes. Uh, I would disagree there. Uh, no. God, he's dead. Look, la- he's behind Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson defensive real plus minus this year. And it's not even close. I mean, he's a one. He's a rookie. I'm not, so is Colin Sexton. And Who's he's been awful. Third to last, you're saying. So that's not like. No, last. Colin Sexton's second to last. Jordan Clarkson's third to last. No, but I'm saying he's not. But second to last and last, there's not going to be that huge of a difference. There is. That's what I'm saying. Like the gap is so he's 4.75 and Colin Sexton's like 4.15. I it, don't. It's not even I mean, close. 0.6 is not even close. Look, at, I'm telling you, man, just go through it. You're going to be like, what the hell am I looking at here? How is this even possible to be this bad defensively? He's got to have like the worst defensive season for a rookie point guard of all time. It's just funny because I agree with you in terms of the Doncic stuff, but I'm, I think it's just because I was high on Trey Young anyway that I the fact that you're so low on him is just bizarre. No, because I like you. The point is um, to get superstars in the draft, and you only get a couple shots. Like we've seen teams where it's like you would kill to be in that situation to get someone that like you know is going to be a top ten player for a long time. Like you just know. Like Luka Doncic was going to be good right away. We knew he was, and he's twenty eight and eight. Like he's going to be someone who murders people. Like that, his step back threes, everything passing. He does the passing. Like he's going to be a better defender. He's going to change how teams scheme for him. He's going to win fifty, sixty games for the Mavericks for years and years and years. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Like that. If he barring injury, Luka Doncic is just going to be an absolute madman, and. If they had just drafted Trey at five and they had didn't have the number three pick, I think that's a huge win of like, oh, great work. You got him at five. Perfect. But you traded down. So that's your fault. You you did something where it was like, if we could be, uh, this is like our franchise altering thing where we've never had a superstar. And the Hawks, like he'd be the best player in Hawks history. Luka Doncic would, like, it's, right now it's Neek. And Neek was great, but he doesn't have the upside of Luka Doncic. Like, Luka Doncic would have been immediately the best player in Hawks history. That's very sad. But, like, Trey would be fun. But I think it was more of a selling tickets kind of deal where it's, like, people like watching dudes pull up from 45 feet. And if you want to create Portland East, great. Whatever. I don't think Neil O'Shea is, like, loving life uh, with this group (laughs) and getting bounced in the first round uh, last year in just embarrassing fashion. Like, great. If you want to do it, that's fine. People are like, oh, they're going to be Warriors East. I'm like, no, they're not. Because the Warriors have... Steph Curry, like it's there's gonna be one Steph Curry. Trey Young's not gonna be Steph, and Steph is just a much much better defender than uh, Steph Curry. Correct, he's also yeah. a lot bigger, a lot of he's a bigger human. Um, it's just it wasn't gonna happen. Like best case, he was gonna be Lillard with some Steve Nash passing, which is fine, but it's not a a, a guy you can build your team around and be a contender. You just can't. Like it's just not good enough on both ends, and. Um, he's always going to be a bad defender. I don't know how he gets around that. And if that's the case, he's a one-way player. You gotta, you better be like James Harden good offensively. If you're not that, what are we doing here? I could see him being that good offensively. And that's my point. I'm so uh, Personally, I'm so high on his offense. 
And it's, again, it's not just the fact that, first of all, if you have someone who can pull up um, so comfortable like he can, you're ahead of the game there because that's a lot of what the game has turned into. His finishing around the rim been way better than expected, and then his playmaking has been phenomenal. And so you put the right guys around him in time, and what I think is, yes, it's is it harder to build a team around him than Luka Doncic? Yes. And should the Hawks have taken Luka Doncic? Yes. But there is still a chance for them to come out even in this trade, depending on what that pick turns even. into, and depending on how they... <laughs> Again, but what you're looking at it in terms of a player like Luka Doncic that they passed on to come out even since they clearly didn't believe that Luka Doncic was going to be this good. We say no, everybody did. did like, but Schlink said like he would have taken if the Mavericks didn't offer the lottery pick. Like he said that a couple weeks ago that he would have kept. I did not pick. see that. That logic yeah. is flawed. I just don't. Trey Young's offense is so good that I could see him turning into that. James Harden type of valuable player not a James obviously him and James Harden play different games it's easier to hide James Harden just because he's stockier and bigger um defensively so you could put him in the post but he could be that good offensively where this is a guy who can headline a contender in the NBA and that's your path to winning or coming out not in a deficit from this deal I don't think that path is out of the question do I think it's unlikely or do I think it's particularly likely no Luka Doncic as you point out is just that good but I don't think the the gap between him and Trey Young is unmanageable for the Hawks to make up in other areas I don't know they're never going to sell me on this I mean, it's, it'll be a fascinating conversation or a verdict three four years down the line when not only are these guys closer or in their primes but we see how the rosters were fleshed out around them god i can't believe i I just can't wait for next year when the hawks are in the playoffs because they're going to be in the playoffs next year they're just they're gelling too quickly and they're gonna they have a lot of cap space and they're just gonna sign some good uh veteran role players and they're gonna be in the playoffs that was more troublesome than anything schlank coming out and saying he wants to sign like they're gonna go after big names this summer that's what i'm saying they're gonna do it they're gonna sign somebody they're gonna overpay for vucevic or something it's gonna happen (laughs) That would, if you put again, if you that then that's that's just faulty logic. If you put guys who really uh, Vucevic has been actually pretty good defensively this year, but he's not this top tier rim protector or switcher. If those are the guys you're going to put behind and around Trey Young, then yeah, you're going to have issues. Well, it's going to like they're they are going to spend the money on somebody like that's going to happen, and they're going to be in the playoffs. And that way, like the, if this is their last shot in the draft this year, like if that Mavericks pick or their own pick doesn't turn into a superstar, like not to rehash that whole thing, but like that's it. This is it. Like you're going to be in the playoffs next year. You missed it. This is it. You have to hit your wagon to this core for the next ten years. Yeah, I mean, right now the Mavericks are have the sixth worst record. That's the other. The upshot of I know the odds are better. Um, it's the difference between a ten percent and a fourteen percent chance right now of the Hawks and a team like the Knicks, Cavs, or Suns. But Zion is Atlanta is the place for Zion. I'm convinced like that that's the team. I'd like to see him in Dallas too. But when you're like just looking at the bottom five squad, uh, Chicago, like Cleveland, Dallas. Phoenix, yeah. New York, um, I'd want to put him in Atlanta. How do you not like him in Dallas? No, don't like KP it. at the five with Zion at the four and Luca no, playing wherever just, you want him to. Kemba at the one. Yeah. Luka Doncic is the two or three. No, that's that's Luka's team. Zion has too big of a personality. Wouldn't do it. Zion's playing with R.J. Barrett. Just Who has fine. no personality. Cam Reddish feels like he doesn't have a personality. They both don't have a personality. <laughs> I can, look. I again. I think Atlanta's the best fit for him. If you wanted to, I don't know if there's. I would agree other... with that. Well, I don't know him and John Collins would be interesting. God, they'd be a pain in the ass. Like those two. Oh my god. 
I guess the problem with Atlanta is can you get away with playing him at the four I mean, when that's really... up all the rebounds? I think they'd be number one in rebounding for the next five years. That's possible. Um, I, I think Atlanta's the best fit for him, but I I actually might think that Dallas is probably the second best fit for him when looking at the teams that are that are most likely to get him. Just Chicago's bad. I don't want to see him in it'd be funny if he ended up in Cleveland after they lost LeBron. Phoenix might actually be an underrated fit. No, Phoenix deserves nothing. Um, no, they don't deserve it, but it might be an underrated No, thank uh, you. Um, you know where I'd like him? Outside the, the Lakers? Hawks. No. The Wizards. Mm. You want to reset? You have Wall out. You're worried about big personalities between Zion and John Collins or Zion and Luka, and you want him to play with John Wall and Bradley Beal? Absolutely. I think those three, you you create the new... It gives them that last piece. That balance they never had before. No. I would love Zion in D.C. with those two. No. I'd rather see him in Memphis with Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't know. That's that's the wrong way to team build. You don't build your two best players should not be bigs. Oh, no. You know what's going to happen if they ended up with Zion. They wouldn't trade Mike Conley, and they would talk about uh, how they're going to make the playoffs next year. Yeah, no, I'm not, thank you. I'm not saying that'd be great, but I would be intrigued by Zion and Jaron Jackson Jr. before whatever you're you're spinning on the Wizards. I don't know. I think the Wizards would be, be fun. I don't know. Why are we even like he's going to end up on the Cavs, right? Like it's just the Cavs are going to win it again. It's funny how people don't understand the new lottery odds too, where they were yeah. getting. It's not like they were getting mad at the Knicks for winning games a couple weeks back, and it's like one, they're not going to finish with better than a bottom three record, and the odds are just leveled off, and it's what you're losing for. At this point, and I get it, this late in the season, like if you're the Grizzlies or the Mavericks or the Hawks, like, yes, it behooves you to lose. But if you have the worst record or one of the three worst records in the NBA, you have an 86% chance of not getting Zion Williamson. Yeah. And that's, I I honestly hope, I don't know if I hope, but it would be, I I want the Knicks to be good again just because I live in New York. Um, But it would, it would just make, there's a part of me that wants it to be like, a, like whatever team has the sixth or the seventh worst record that wins the lottery this year, just to sort of drive that point home. Yeah, I don't know. It would it'd be interesting. Zion in New York would be fun, I would say. I, they I would, would trade. Like, I would like Zion there and then Kevin Durant and Kyrie not together. That's what I would like. What do you mean? You want one of them in New York with Zion, is what no, you're saying? Zion by himself. He, it's his own team, and he gets to rebuild. Like, if they hadn't traded KP, that would have been more entertaining, and they would have just kept this group and just gotten Zion and kept building a team a normal, healthy franchise does by through the draft and just being patient. I don't want him in the Knicks because I think they would ruin him. They wouldn't, if they missed out on Kyrie and KD, they're not going to start from scratch. They're going to give money to, like, Boyan Bogdanovich, who's a good player, but not someone you want to pay at the stage that they're in. So, um, How could you doubt Scott Perry and Steve Mills? They're the that Christoph Porzingis trade is still there's a chance it pans out because I do think they got when you look at the cap relief, the picks, and I don't really like Dennis Smith Jr., but you did. I mean, you got him. There's a chance like that's fine. But what I, I think people are I'm always of the mind like you don't need to create cap space until you need it. And the Knicks had a path to getting max money while keeping KP. So the fact that you created two max slots, it's now if you don't get two superstars, that trade was objectively stupid. The last thing very quickly, and then we'll go. Um, are you ready to finally join me that uh, Markel Fultz uh, not playing basketball ever again? No. You he just came out today and said his shoulder rehab acclimated. Was going great. No. Did you read the exact quote from him? It's uh, insane. No, I didn't read the exact quote. 
it's he's the goal is to start playing basketball where it doesn't basically hurt again. Markel Markel Fultz said the plan is to be able to shoot without discomfort or pain. That's the plan. Right. That's I mean, isn't that part and parcel of recovery from any injury, including thoracic outlet? It's been three years. Like, of course, that's your thing. He's like, I'm getting better every day. Like, it's a long con. He's never playing. I mean, it's been it hasn't even been two years, let alone three. God, it's not happening. I uh, yes, there's a slim chance that he's the like the hybrid between James Harden and Manu. No, he's not playing basketball again. No, that's that is a terrible take. That's he's right up there with. The uh, he's not playing in the NBA again. I've no. said this for months. Like that was the it, last time we saw him. I don't know how you could think that he's not going to play in the NBA again. I I really think the yip stuff's never going away. I think it's gone. I mean, even if it's gone, to say he's never going to play in the NBA again is over the top. It's going to be bad. Like I just don't know how you get over that. Like people are just going to be brutal him to him, especially now that he's not in the Philly incubator where they were treating him like Rudy. Like it's, I don't know, man. I think it's, it's time to move on, find a different career path. Wow. That is, that is up there. In one of the I would have told him to retire a year and a half ago. Like the second this stuff came out, I've been saying Scott Rafferty, like you can go back and check the tapes. And I was just like, Oh, this is over. No one turns into a hall of famer by starting out their career with the yips as a former number one over pick. Like it's just, no, this is over. You can't adjust I don't know, I don't know how you write off someone this early into their career. They fucked up because they should have traded him months ago. Like they should have known they messed up. Like that's a different it, that's a different argument. That's true. I would have shipped him to Greece. Been like, nope, <laughs> goodbye. This is it. That's the only way he's getting better, is if he goes overseas and just plays a bunch of thirty six minutes a night basketball where no one's watching him, no one knows that he exists for three years, and then maybe he returns down the line as a role player. Like that's it. I just it's, after watching him in college, I don't know how you could just think that it had gone. Like he was, uh, he has the yips, man. Have you seen him shoot free throws re- lately? Well, no, because he's not playing. Well, I mean, uh, this season, what we saw. Yeah, his like double, triple <laughs> pump or whatever it is. <laughs> what? Do we think that's getting better? I do. I think. Okay. I think. I think Markel Fultz. If we fast forward past his rookie scale deal is still in the NBA. Okay. I think there's absolutely zero chance of that happening. Well, well, I guess we'll, we'll be see. talking in two to three years. I hope so, man. I enjoyed talking to you in the podcast. That's a good way of wrapping up. <laughs> um, folks, stay tuned. Two or three years. Dan and I will revisit uh, our Mark. Trey Young and Doncic and Mark. Yeah, we have to revisit that. That one's over. Like that one. Oh, God. Oh, God. That one's over. But um, yeah, we can get on the Jeff Schultz of the, the Athletic almost hung up on me because I I said that Luka Doncic was already a, going to be for sure a Hall of Famer. I pull. I wish I had the numbers still in front of me of like how much it's mirrored LeBron's. Uh, I think only LeBron was able to do twenty five and five his rookie year, and Doncic is about to break that. Um, yeah, it's 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 done. If he's healthy, he's a Hall of Famer. So yeah. Um. Anyway, Dan Favalli, is there anything we need to read from you this week on NBA Math or Bleacher Report? Um, I'll have a few stuff going live on Bleach Report about the playoffs. So if people are interested in that, they should certainly check it out. Definitely do that. Dan, it's always a lot of fun talking basketball with you. Um, I, I appreciate you making the time as always, sir. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me as always. 
And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase Double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.